Great. So, so we're entering this week of prayer then as a church together, which is exciting, as Peter said. But I wonder what we're going to do when we sit there in that room out there for an hour or maybe a whole night, as some of you might have signed up for. What are we going to say? And will it make any difference? I wonder. If you were here last week, you will have heard John speaking about God's, um, about praying to God using the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, which we often call the Lord's Prayer. Um, and John gave us some helpful ways, which um, are on the screen, but they've been, I think, maybe handed, handed out or on Facebook anyway, if you're on there, and I'm sure you can get them. But just um, a good framework there of using um, the Lord's Prayer and how it could structure and shape some of our prayers. Maybe you've done as John suggested this week, and you've used that every day um, to shape your prayers. Or, or perhaps you've been praying some other way this week. Well, just, just to yourself, take a moment to think about um, these questions. Has prayer this week been something that, you've, that I've done naturally and instinctively this week? Have I enjoyed talking to God, my Father? Have I felt like I'm in a relationship with him as I go about my life and my daily business? And I wonder, have I seen him at work as a result? I guess that our answers across this room are going to be varied, maybe ranging right from, I could say yes to all of those questions, absolutely, through to... No, I haven't prayed. I don't even know if there is a God out there listening for me to pray to. And probably most of us in this room might have a variety of answers somewhere in between. But I'm pretty sure that for many of us here, probably most of us, we'd like to grow in prayer. Well, today's talk is called The Bigger Conversation, because as we enter this week of prayer, we want to move beyond simply saying our prayers to engaging with the bigger picture of our place in God's kingdom and what he's got to say to us about his salvation plan. And we're going to explore this a little by looking at the example of Nehemiah, who was an Old Testament character who we can read about in the Bible. There's a whole book um, with his name. Um, Now, Nehemiah was a Jew, one of um, God's special people at that time in the Old Testament. And he was living in Babylon, um, which wasn't his homeland, but rather it was a place where many years before the Israelites had been taken into exile um, as a result of their own unfaithfulness to God. But eventually, some years later, some of those Jewish people returned to Jerusalem in Israel and, um, and they rebuilt the temple which had been destroyed there, God's temple. But Nehemiah, his family wasn't one of those who had returned. So we pick up the story when we look at the book of Nehemiah with Nehemiah, um, a Jew living in Babylon, um, and he had an important job as a cupbearer um, to the king, which meant that whatever that exactly was, it meant that he was often in the presence of the Babylonian king. 
But despite that position that he had there in Babylon, it's very clear throughout this book of Nehemiah that his heart was with his fellow Israelites in Jerusalem, and more importantly, with his God. So turn to Nehemiah on page 484, if you've got one of these blue Bibles, 484, the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to have a read together through um, chapter 1 and into chapter 2, verse 8. So if you have a Bible, it'd be great if you were to turn and have a look. Okay, so Nehemiah chapter 1. <clears throat> the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, well, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted um, very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was bought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I'd not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors, ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me 
timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. Okay, so Nehemiah, he'd heard the news that the temple had been rebuilt, but the wall of Jerusalem around it was broken down and there was no protection for the people, leaving them vulnerable to their enemies and therefore in great distress. If we were to carry on and read the whole of Nehemiah, we would see that he goes on to Jerusalem and he leads the people there in like a wall rebuilding program. And it ends with um, much rejoicing and the reestablishing of God's laws and his ways for the people in Jerusalem. And throughout that building program, we can see a pattern which shows us a lot about the bigger conversation with God that Nehemiah engages in. It goes a little bit like this, that Nehemiah has a great concern for God's glory, and so he prays, and then God speaks, and then Nehemiah takes action, and he continues to have concern for God's glory, prays, God speaks, and Nehemiah acts. And that's clearly a good pattern because it results in God being glorified and worshipped. So let's take a look at those four things. Um, so firstly, Nehemiah had concern for God's glory. He's so distressed by news of the lack of the wall protecting Jerusalem and the temple. Well, he's a long way from Jerusalem, though, and he's got a good job. He's in a foreign land where God isn't worshipped. I wonder if I was in that situation, if I'd have been tempted to say, oh, no, well, that's a shame. Sad that my fellow Israelites are suffering like that, and God's holy city is in danger, but there's not a lot I can do about it. I've got to get on with my work here. But that wasn't how Nehemiah responded, was it? He hears this news, and he's sobbing. And it's not a token like, oh, I'm just moved at that, like as though he'd watched a sad film. He's so bothered that it says that for some days he fasts and he prays. Why does he care so much? Well, because he is so concerned for God's glory. You see, in those times, God's dwelling place was in the temple, and Jerusalem was God's holy city. And so the welfare of the, of the temple and the city and God's people mattered to Nehemiah. He had God's perspective on the situation. Now remember, Nehemiah had a very important job, and I'm Sure, his life was full of pressures, of the immediate that he needed to do. He had things going on in his life, just like all of us. And I'm sure that he would have prayed about all of those things. But he also understood them within God's, pic God's big picture. His love for God and concern for God's glory enabled him to see beyond the everyday to what God was doing more broadly. Now, Nehemiah was an Israelite who loved God, so he knew that what was going on in Jerusalem was his problem too. If you're following Jesus, then first and foremost, you are a child of God. That's your identity. And as children of God, his glory and the growth of his kingdom 
should be our greatest concern. And that's what gives meaning to everything else in our lives and every situation that we find ourselves in. So it means that um, being a parent or our work or our studies, um, the social interactions that we have, even the struggles that we face, Everything is to be viewed within the bigger picture of what God is up to. Because he's not disconnected from what we do. He's put us in those places and those situations so that we can play our part in his kingdom plans through those things. But anyway, so Nehemiah had heard this news and he's distraught. So he fasts and he prays to God. And we learn much from his prayer life. We see very much um, that he prays in tune with God. As as you go through the whole book of Nehemiah, he prays a number of times. And we see that he just seems to be so in touch with God in it. Do you look around at some people and just think that they seem so connected to God, so confident in him? Well, Nehemiah seems to be one of those people. And his prayer in chapter 1 that we read um, gives an insight into why I think he is so confident in God. And that's because he clearly knows God. He knows him. Last week when we looked at the Lord's Prayer, um, John suggested that we talk to God about who God is. Um, And that's exactly what Nehemiah is doing in this prayer He talks to God about the fact that he's a great and awesome and loving God. He talks to God about what he's done and the promises that he's made. He knows how God has worked down through history, way back in Moses' time. And presumably he knows all of this because he's familiar. He was familiar with the scriptures that he had. So if we want to engage in the bigger conversation with God and to have his perspective on life, then we need to be people who read or listen to, if that's easier, um, but who read our Bibles frequently because it's through the Bible that God has chosen to tell us about himself and his plans and his purposes for humanity and his um, salvation plan for eternity. And the Bible is all about Jesus. And if we want to know God, then we need to know Jesus. So we need to look at the scriptures where Jesus is revealed to us. Are you here today just wondering about Jesus, but not yet um, following him? Well, it says in the Bible, in a letter called 2 Timothy, it says that the Holy Scriptures make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Are you waiting, maybe, for God to show himself to you? Well, then read the scriptures and ask Jesus to reveal himself to you there. For those of us who are Christians, do we seek to get to know Jesus better every day through the Bible? I don't know about you, but I find it pretty hard to trust someone that I don't know very well. And I find that my faith in God begins to waver when I'm not reminding myself constantly of who he is. So if we want to pray in in tune with God, then we need to know who he is and how he's acted down through history and where his plans for his kingdom are going in the future as well, all of which he's graciously written for us. 
Nehemiah was praying in tune with God by getting in on God's big picture plan. He was basically saying to God, this is who I know you are. This is what I know you've done in the past. And, and this is what I know that you've promised. Forgive us for our unfaithfulness to you. But please, now, could you make good on what you promised long ago? That the exiles would be gathered again to Jerusalem. Well, that seems like quite a bold prayer to be praying to me. But it's simply Nehemiah expressing his trust in God, asking him to fulfill the promises that God has made and to be true to his character. Nehemiah wasn't pushing his own agenda in prayer. He was um, asking, he was pushing God's agenda and simply asking that through his circumstances, God would use him in making God's agenda happen. Now, maybe that way of praying seems a little bit intimidating and somewhat dependent on our Bible knowledge, which, you know, (laughs) we often all think we could do better in. But I do think that this is something that we... um, that we grow in and need to learn over time. No one, none of us get finished with knowing God. There's always more to find out about him as we read about him in the Bible. And so we, we pray according to where we're at in our journey. And I think God knows that and he delights to hear from us all. So if we keep on seeking him, we'll learn to pray more in tune with him as we get to know him better over time. I first started praying when I was a child um, because that's what my parents taught me to do. But I remember very vividly when I, one of my very first prayers that maybe I started praying off my own back. um, And it went a bit like this. It said, dear God, I desperately want to be a bridesmaid. Now... (laughs) Now, the way I see it is that Mr. So-and-so, this guy at church, um, could marry Miss So-and-so, and I, they could maybe please ask me to be their bridesmaid, and I would really love to wear a blue dress. And I genuinely prayed that. I remember it so well. Um, but God didn't make that little plan of mine come about. It didn't happen, um, I'm sure, for the best. Um, And obviously, I was a child, but I was also somebody at the very start of my journey in prayer. And I believe God was probably delighting that I was just coming to him in the first place, even if the prayer was um, somewhat ridiculous. Um, But we can have a tendency to pray like that, can't we? But maybe in more of a grown-up way that we find ourselves in a situation and in our heads we concoct some kind of solution. And so we come to God and we tell him the solution and we ask him to make good on that solution. Um, And then if it doesn't happen, then we, we start to question who God is and just feel frustrated. Well, could it be that the problem is not God, but that it's um, we are a, we're praying according to our own agenda rather than coming to God open to what he wants to do. Do you see how different Nehemiah's way of praying was? And how much more it was a two-way thing between him and God? He'd gotten to know God so deeply that what mattered to God mattered to him as well. And so he prays about those things in tune with God throughout the whole account basing his plans on, his prayers, sorry, on God's plans and, um, and, his, and God's heart. 
He always prays constantly. And you hear him, if you read through it, frequently telling other people, God can be trusted, trust him. And also Nehemiah, he constantly acts and moves and does things as he prays. He acts in response to God. And we read a couple of times um, words that say that what Nehemiah was doing in Jerusalem was according to what God had put in his heart to do. And that brings us on to the next bit in the circle, recognizing God's voice. We've seen that we pray more in tune with God as we get to know him better through the scriptures. But obviously the Bible didn't tell Nehemiah every little detail about how he was meant to go rebuilding the wall. That's not, there's not a code in the Bible somewhere that Nehemiah found with all the instructions in it. Instead, he knew God so well that he was able to recognize God's voice in the situation in response to his prayers. After the prayer in chapter 1, he got on with his work as cupbearer to the king. But what he was doing, he was, he was taking God with him, if you like, into his workplace. And then... Um, recognizing and seizing the opportunities that God was giving him as they arose. Now, so we read the king noticed that Nehemiah was sad. And so, although afraid, Nehemiah had to tell him why he was sad and all about the wall in Jerusalem. And so the king, here's the opportunity, the king said, what would you like to be done? Well, in that moment before answering Nehemiah prayers, presumably a really quick prayer in his head, probably, maybe, just simply, help. Um, And then out come all these bold requests to the king, asking for leave to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall, and then even more things. He just seems to get bolder with his requests. It seems definitely that somehow God was laying and putting into Nehemiah's mind to ask these things. And Nehemiah was listening and responding. So what can we take from this, I wonder? Can we be people who recognize the voice of God in our lives too? And just to clarify at this point, I'm not talking here about um, an audible voice of God in case we're confused. I'm not going to get into um, all the different ways that people say that, they, um, that God speaks to them. As I'm talking about God's voice, um, I'm speaking in a much more general sense of those times in our life where um, that have the mark of God on them, such as words that other people say to us, um, or circumstances we find ourselves in, or thoughts that come into our mind that, you know, they're from God, or the way that we're feeling led by God to act. Basically, God interacting with us in some way, individually or corporately, as we seek him. Some of you here will be thinking that you've never heard the voice of God, and others will be those people who are always saying, well, God spoke to me, God spoke to me. We've got different ways that we talk about God speaking to us, and, and this can all get very personal. Well, let's be clear again at this point that God speaks primarily and ultimately through his words in the Bible. As I said earlier, he's revealed everything that we need to know about him and his salvation plans, his big picture plans um, in the words of scripture. And there's no new revelations um, to that. 
But the voice of God in the Bible goes even deeper than that. In Hebrews 4 verse 12, we have this description of how the word of God is so relevant, powerful, and transforming in our lives as the Holy Spirit makes them come alive. It says, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So the Holy Spirit uses the words of Scripture to speak to us. But the Bible does also tell us that Jesus lives in us by his Holy Spirit. And so I believe we can experience him speaking to us in the specifics of our lives, similar to the way that Nehemiah was as he went about rebuilding the wall. It's a relationship after all. I have to say that I'm such a learner in this area, and that's really hit home to me um, the last few weeks, actually. Um, as I've had my own personal struggle with trying to hear God's voice into a situation, and I've made a bit of a, bit of a mess of it at times, so I don't think I can teach you on this subject, but I do just want to share a few personal things I've learned um, in my own um, yeah, struggle to hear God's voice. So first of all, just two words of caution. Um, and the first thing is, don't tell God how to speak to you. We need to come to him like Nehemiah did in humility and openness for him to work as he sees fit. I wanted God to give me an answer to something, a clear answer. Nothing kind of wrong with that really, but I became so fixated with him just making that answer so clear that I got to the point where I was actually demanding a sign from God, you know, something spectacular to happen don't do that. Jesus had stuff to say about people who demand a sign from him, and those things weren't positive things. Um, Actually, God did speak to me. Coincidentally or not, I came across an article um, about lack of trust in God and the problems with telling God what to do, and God convicted me of my error and just... (laughs) just how I was being with him. And I realized that probably the last thing that I need is like this obvious sign from God. Some people get them, of course. But in this, for this time, God had other things to teach me to grow. And he's been since revealing those things to me as he's brought scriptures to mind or spoken through other people um, or articles and songs. You know, they, they just all come at the right time. Do you get that sometimes, where these things come at the right time? Um, let's not tell God how to speak to us. We can't manipulate him. He doesn't speak to us because he's our fortune teller. But he speaks to us to mold us more into his children for the goods of his kingdom. Another cautionary lesson, be aware of the many voices that crowd in on us. There's competing voices to God's in our life, and the devil would love us to listen to them, whether it's um, sort of other people trying to persuade us or um, the noise of social media all coming in and we can't crowd things out, um, our own sinful desires, whatever it is. Um, And these things can be very strong, but we need to learn to recognize God's voice, which is, again, why it's so important that we're in tune with him and keep getting to know him. Nehemiah, he faced opposition and ridicule, conspiracy, discouragement, all things that um, he could have taken to be God telling him to stop the work. But he knew God's voice because he knew God. 
So he listened to God's voice. He didn't let those other things crowd it out, and he completed the work. For me, a loud voice is fear. I don't know what it is for you, but I need to be alert to that voice of fear that could stop me stepping out into what God wants me to do. So get to know yourself and the things that influence you, and the more you get to know God, we'll begin to recognize the sweetness of his voice in comparison to all these other things. Um, So that's two cautions and now simply two things to do if you think that God is speaking to you. Um, Check it out with scripture. He's not going to tell us things that contradict what he's revealed there or that don't tie up with the revealed big picture of his plans and purposes. Secondly, don't be a lone ranger in this. Speak to other people about what you think God might be saying to you. Um, Choose people who you know are rooted in the scriptures and who are dependent on God in prayer. Um, That's why it's for all of us, even if we believe that God has specifically gifted us with some sort of prophetic gift, because the Bible tells us we should weigh and test prophecies. So check everything out with scripture and check it all out with other people. And then, um, if it seems that God really is speaking to you, take action in faith. And that's the last thing. Um, in our sort of circle thing, that Nehemiah, he acted in faith. He didn't sit around. We see he constantly prayed and that there's this exchange with God that seems to be going on. But, you know, it's kind of fast moving. He establishes that the rebuilding of the walls is good. He sees that at each point God is prospering the work, so he continues on prayerfully. God's given us the ability to make decisions. And left to our own devices, of course, we can make some very unwise decisions. But if we're genuinely seeking God, keeping in his word, praying to him, then I don't think we need to sweat over whether we're making the right or the wrong decision, whether we're in God's will, out of it. Um, We just need to realize, I think, sometimes to just to act, to get on doing God's work and entering into his bigger plans. Like Nehemiah, though, we just need to keep on praying as we go about his work. God kept opening up the way for him to carry on with the work. And we talk, don't we, sometimes of the opening and the closing of doors. And we can trust God in that, that as we prayerfully come to him, he'll pave the way. We just need to live our lives and ready to be living them for his glory. So keep praying, keep trusting, keep reading the Bible, be alert to the holy leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives and be in community with other Christians. But above all, be concerned for God's glory, surrendering our own agenda to his. Um, just to say, if you've been listening and the whole idea of praying to God and him speaking, if all of this is like a foreign language to you, then let me share with you that the reason we're confident um, of God's interaction with us in this way is because of his son, Jesus Christ. And I really want to encourage you that if you don't know Jesus, to look into who he is. We enjoy a speaking relationship with our Father God, not because we've done something special, but because Jesus has. Through his life and death and resurrection, we can know forgiveness and enter into a relationship with God. And if you want to know more about that, please speak to one of us or pick up the Bible and read about him. But as we go into this week of prayer, then let's remember, as John was saying last week, that we come to God our Father 
as our Father, who graciously gives us what we need. Tell him what's on your heart. Ask him for things and be expectant for him to answer. Maybe use some time to read the Bible and get to know Jesus better and use what you find in there as a framework for your prayers. Be open to what he might be saying to you, to us as a church together, and about how we, like Nehemiah, can get in on his kingdom work and leave it each moment of our lives with a bigger perspective. So may Jesus be glorified this week in everything and through everything that we do.